0: Well, we've been blessed today already, have we not? Um, So grateful for uh, our time in worship today and uh, our church has truly been blessed by our students from Korea who joined our college ministry. I want you to know they're a great blessing to us in so many ways and we're glad they're part of our family during this season in their life. Well, this month, as as you know, is our annual emphasis on missions as we've talked about it today. Um, Here in this room, for three Sunday mornings, we're going to be gathering together underneath this heading, Sharing the Faith. You know, our theme for the whole year's journey of faith. And so every um, season this year, we've explored some facet of faith. And so we're going to spend some time reflecting on what it means to share the faith as Christians over these next three Sunday mornings. Our theme for our mission ministry, our cross-cultural ministry at First Baptist Arlington is live sent. And you're going to be seeing that um, as something that we will just gather around on into the future. And there are a number of things that I would love to see happen as we learn more about what it means to live sent. You know, our church made the decision years ago to begin sending our own missionaries. And so we now have uh, workers from our church who live in these three global centers across the world. Two of them are in Europe. One of them is in West Africa and you support them. They're our church members and they're working on your behalf in these strategic places in the world. We have another couple who is preparing to be sent to join uh, one of our teams in Europe we also have begun a new global center right here in arlington it's still in process but we are going to be commissioning a family to oversee it as they're going to lead us in taking the gospel to unreached people right here in our own community and around the world and so in order for you to be commissioned and sent by first baptist arlington there's a pretty intense process you have to go through for example i brought with me the training manual that we use um, it is entitled Panorama, and it is a collection of of materials. Several of us have authored um, uh, materials in this book, but it's over 600 pages, and it's actually a year-long study. And so all of our workers that are sent, they spend a year at least in training, and they learn about what it means to embrace this calling in their lives. They also learn about cross-cultural challenges and what it means to to engage in in witness in places that are very different perhaps than you're accustomed to. All kinds of practical training is is a part of this. This this material is published by Restore Hope and Dr. Mike Stroop, a professor at Truett Seminary was our general editor. Cliff Lusk, who works at Restore Hope, he serves now as the managing editor of this material. Now, we're not gonna ask all of y'all to go through these 600 pages of training and spend time in these intentional intense uh, units of study. However, we do want you to be formed missionally. And so this, this month in November, we have prepared some Bible study material for you. It's entitled Live Sent. And we've asked every Bible study group to use this as your curriculum this month. And the goal is, is for us to continue to, to be shaped and formed missionally. And so I'm praying for you this month as you gather together as an entire church family studying this same material because we want to be Psalm 1 people and we want to live as a Psalm 1 church, deeply rooted, transformed by the power of the gospel, but also living as influencers in the world God has called us to. So with that said, I want us to begin our conversation that'll last over these three weeks this morning here in our morning worship time. And uh, I've entitled the message today, Missions, The Mandate. And the text is Acts 1 verse 8. I realize the word mandate has not been favorably disposed in the last little while here in our nation, but if you can kind of suspend that and think with me about the mandate for mission that we believe comes from the Lord himself. So one verse, you know this verse, it's in the context of Jesus preparing his disciples for his ascension. And so he's already been crucified and buried and resurrected from the dead. He has spent these days with his disciples, teaching them about the kingdom of God, They still have questions. They're asking him, when is all this going to happen? Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? All these things are on their mind. Jesus says, you don't need to worry about all of that. Then you come to verse eight. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth now this morning, I, I wanna begin our conversation by just posing this question. When you think about this mandate, by what authority? Years ago, I was with a group in Asia and I'd been invited to teach a group of pastors way out in a, in a village, long way from the capital city. We had some friends who were serving as missionaries there in, And so we hopped on a motorcycle, he and I did, that was only built for one. And we uh, were riding on it together. We were going through this busy street in in a city where they don't feed the dogs, and the dogs were all chasing us. And I'm trying to kick them to get them off of us. And this missionary said this to me, and it's become kind of a life lesson. He said, Dennis, you can't stop and kick every dog. If you keep moving, they'll quit chasing you after a while. That's pretty good life advice, to be honest with you. It did not stop me though from kicking pretty much every dog that was chasing me in that very moment. But we get way out into this village and the village is governed by a Hindu priest, an elderly man. And because of his relationship with someone there, he allowed these pastors to come to his compound. The pastors were all Muslim converts to Christ. There were several of them. And they came to spend a day with me for me to instruct them from the book of 1 Peter. And so we spent most of the day there and uh, just I was teaching a lot of conversation, prayer time. It was a very powerful, memorable time, one of the most memorable experiences of my life. And when the uh, the day was almost done, um, we heard the sound of a lot of children and uh, there is a Quranic school in that village with a scholar from uh, a Muslim scholar teaching the Quran to the children that this Hindu priest allowed to be in his village. And the children were being let out of the schools at the end of the day. And as I made my way into the heart of that village, um, most of the people in that community are shorter, a little darker skinned than me. It was pretty hard for me to hide that I was an anomaly. And in that particular culture, staring is the national pastime. And so, and they learned to do it early. So these children are all staring at me. A couple of them ran up to me and just wanted to touch my skin because it was so different than theirs. And so finally, the Quranic scholar, he thought I was being overrun by the children. So he came to rescue me. So he shooed the children away. And, and then he asked the Hindu priest, um, who is this man? Well, I had a translator with me because I couldn't speak their language. and. Um, The priest said, well, he is someone I invited to the village. And the scholar said, for what reason? And the priest said, well, I've invited him to come teach about God. The pastors that I had been teaching had all already left to go back home because they lived a long way away. And so the Quranic teacher said, well, then I would like to know what it is you've been teaching in this village. So we sat down in the middle of the village and, and the people all sat around us and then the children sat all around them. And this hindu priest was sitting there and this muslim quranic teacher was there and my missionary friend and the translator in me and I, I looked at these two men and i thought sitting in front of me along with me represent three of the largest religions in the history of the world in one little circle a muslim scholar a hindu priest and a baptist preacher and so The Quranic scholar said, so what have you been teaching? And so I began to share with him that I had been teaching from the Bible and I had been sharing a message about what it meant to be involved in ministry and taking the message of Jesus to this culture. This scholar stopped and he pointed a finger at me and he said, I have one question. By what authority are you doing these things? So the translator shared the question with me. The Hindu priest, much more gentle, elderly man, he said, you know, that is a very good question. He said, this man here has been teaching in my village for a number of years and he's a Muslim. I oversee our temple here, I'm a Hindu, and you're a Christian. Why is it that you think that you're right and presumably both of us are wrong? By what authority are you doing these things? I would say to you all, I'll never forget that conversation. It's a profound question. It's a question that lingers in the air for us right now in our own culture. By what authority do we as Christians make the claims that we make? Why is it that I was able to communicate something very directly to these two men and believe it with every fiber in my being? By what authority? Why is it that I am standing right now in the midst of a very complex cultural moment in my own country that I still believe I have that same authority right here in Arlington, Texas? By what authority? It's a, it's a provocative and profound question. One of the brilliant minds and a man who lived his life incredibly well to the very end and influenced a generation or two of ministers like me is John Stott, who's gone on to be with the Lord, this very wonderful missiologist and Anglican preacher and teacher. Let me read to you a quote from one of his articles on mission. He says, millions of people in today's world are extremely hostile to the Christian missionary enterprise. They regard it as politically disruptive because it loosens the cement which binds the national culture and religiously narrow-minded because it makes exclusive claims for Jesus. And the attempt to convert people to Christ is rejected as an unpardonable interference in their private lives. I believe Dr. Stott is right. When Christians, particularly today, make these bold claims, by what authority do we make these claims? And are we on good footing Do we still have the right to make the claims that we make? It remains a profound question. It was a profound question in the first century. It was no less controversial then than it is now. Let me remind you of what Jesus said, and this is the very passage of Scripture that I quoted to this Quranic scholar. I had my New Testament with me, I'd been teaching first Peter. And I asked him, I said, do you believe the Injil is the word of God? And he said, yes. He said, the prophet said we should read it. Injil is the New Testament. I said, well, let me read you something that Jesus himself said in the Injil. And I read Matthew 28, verse 18 jesus came to them and said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me unequivocal clear statement jesus said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me and so the answer to the question by what authority The authority is Jesus. Jesus is the one who has authority. So my authority is derivative because it comes from Jesus and his authority is derivative because it comes from the Father who's given it to him. And so Jesus very boldly and definitively issues a mandate in Acts 1.8. He says the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you you will receive power and then you will be witnesses unto me, that's what he says. Unto me everywhere, he says. Wow, so let me just run through this real quickly. I wanna, I wanna set four words in front of you. Let me do that real quickly. The first one is empowered. Here's what I wanna make sure you and I know this morning we have not been called to live this gospel out in front of our world in our own strength, praise God. We have not been called to this task and just utilize our own ingenuity and our own ability. This is a supernatural task, it is beyond our ability and beyond our scope. It's larger than anything we could have ever imagined, it is a God sized assignment. Think of what it was like in those days, this small band of 120 people who had never really traveled anywhere and all of a sudden they are told, you're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Can you imagine how ludicrous that sounded to them? It's still as far-fetched to me and you today. When you think about the challenges, the complexities of trying to get the gospel to the ends of the earth in 2021, imagine how far-fetched that sounded in the first century but I am right now standing in the ends of the world when those men and women receive this message, true? I am standing as far away as you could possibly get from them geographically. I am a representative of the uttermost. Those people were faithful and because they were faithful, guess what, I know about Jesus. You think I ain't gonna thank him when I get to heaven? I'm gonna spend a whole lot of time going up and saying, man, thank you. Man, thank you. Wow, you mean you live before me and you help bring, thank you. We're standing a long line of people who were empowered. And so the Spirit of God is given. Matter of fact, next page in your Bible, the Spirit of God is given, right? And the next thing you know, Simon Peter, who two months, almost, a little less than two months earlier, wouldn't even admit to a young girl that he knew Jesus is standing in downtown Jerusalem preaching the gospel. What's happened? The Spirit of God has happened, that's what's happened. He's been empowered, and we're transformed by that power. And these people right here, they were willing to live and die for the gospel, and that's exactly what they did. You and I are empowered with the same Spirit of God today. Second, engaged. It's not enough to know it. It's just not enough to know it. It's not enough to believe it. It's just not enough to believe it. We have to engage in it. What is a witness? what's the definition of a witness but what does a witness what do you think first of all a witness is they've seen something right and then what but tell about it right Isn't that what a witness is i mean when, they, when when a witness is called in a courtroom isn't that what happened well what did you see well here here's here, here's what i saw i'm going to tell you what i saw right A witness is somebody who sees it, who knows it, and who's willing to talk about it. Well, guess what? Jesus said, you will be my witnesses, not just my believers, not just people who accept all of this, but people who are actually willing to let others know about it. Jesus challenged them and he challenges us to be witnesses to who he is and what he has done. Third word, everyone. Who's supposed to do this? Well, Peter and Paul and John, you know, all the holy guys, right? They need to be out there sharing the gospel, and this world will be a better place, right? If, 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 if some of these pastors would get off their rear end and start doing their work, maybe we wouldn't have the mess we have, right? Some of these professional, paid professional, holy people would be doing their job. Some of that's true, but what are y'all doing? What are y'all doing? How many people know Jesus because of y'all? This is for everybody. This ain't just for me. Come on, y'all. We're all in this together. You couldn't name 120 of these people standing there that day, could you? You name 120 of them? No, because you don't know them all. Who started the church at Antioch? The most influential church in the first century, sent the first missionaries, began the whole missionary movement. Who started that church? We don't know. You know what the Bible says? Some men. Come on, Luke, dude. (laughs) We wanna put a plaque out front and put their names on it. Who, Who started the church? Just some men. Who started the, what about Rome? The most significant city in Western civilization. A church gets planted there. Who planted the church at Rome? We don't know. Paul had never been there. Peter had never been there. Paul wrote him a letter. Some people think Peter established a church in Rome. We read Romans 15 and 16, Paul greeted everybody and their dog. They didn't mention Peter. I could promise you if Peter was in Rome, Paul would have mentioned it. Don't you think? <laughs> Who started the church in Rome? We don't know. Somebody. One of y'all. Just some People who were taking the gospel. They took this seriously, they took the gospel. Listen, you know, it's everyone. And then here's one other word, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Doesn't matter where we are, it's everywhere. Jerusalem, Arlington, Mansfield, Fort Worth, Grand Prairie. You think there's any lost people in Arlington? You know there's lost people in Grand Prairie. I've been to Grand Prairie. <laughs> <laughs> Mansfield, Fort Worth. There's lost people everywhere. Guess what we're supposed to do with, with this gospel? Take it. Every one of us, we're supposed to take it everywhere. It's not rocket science, y'all. It's really not. It's being witnesses to what Jesus has done in my life. I am the resident expert on what Jesus Christ has done to me. And I need to be willing to share that message. Man, the church, what a, mm, what a privilege, y'all. What a, what a privilege to be a part of it. Let me read you one other quote by john stott in his commentary on acts here's what he says he says the exercise of power is inherent in the concept of a kingdom but power in god's kingdom is different from power in human kingdoms the reference to the holy spirit defines its nature the kingdom of God is his rule set up in the lives of his people by the Holy Spirit. It is spread by witnesses, not by soldiers. Through a gospel of peace, not a declaration of war. And by the work of the Spirit, not by the force of arms, political intrigue, or revolutionary violence. At the same time, in rejecting the politicizing of the kingdom, we must beware of the opposite extreme of super-spiritualizing it as if God's rule operates only in heaven and not on earth. The fact is that... Although it must not be identified with any political ideology or program, it has radical political and social implications. Kingdom values come into collision with secular values, and the citizens of God's kingdom steadfastly deny to Caesar the supreme loyalty for which he hungers, but which they insist on giving to Jesus alone. We're members of a kingdom. It's a different kind of kingdom, and our world needs to know about it. So you know what you and I need to do? We need to live sent. It's not just Gabe and Seda, Garamore and Emily, Brian and Sarah. It's all of us. It's all of us. We're all sent. Let's live sent. May it be so. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this mandate. Not a suggestion. What a powerful challenge from none other than Jesus himself to be witnesses. Every one of us, everywhere, Lord, I pray that you'll help us to live up to that challenge, and may we see the kingdom expanded because of it, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.